Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends, the gospel readings from Matthew in these late summer weeks have to do with the difficulty, the spiritual difficulty, of being a Christian and of being the church. And today's reading has to do with forgiveness and the difficulty of forgiveness. Forgiveness is pretty much the opposite of justice. Our religion talks about the importance of both. In order for there to be peace in the world, for there to be shalom, wholeness, wellness, peace, well-being, there must be justice and forgiveness. But forgiveness is pretty much the opposite of justice. Peter today asks Jesus about how many times he needs to forgive another person. And Peter suggests that the right amount might be seven. And Jesus then says that the right answer is 77 times, or 70 times seven, depending on who is doing the translating. But the number seven is getting thrown around. And one reason is because seven is the Jewish number that means totality. And it is characteristic of our friend Peter that he lurches forward in the right direction. Lurches always. But Jesus takes care to correct Peter's fumbled passes. So this conversation is characteristic of Peter but it shows that he is taking it seriously because forgiveness is hard, especially when it really matters. You, you can imagine all kinds of criminal things like sexual assault and murder, and you don't have to go far to find addicted people who lie and steal over and over and over in the service of their addiction. Adultery is a pretty big betrayal. The wrongs that I find hardest to forgive, personally, are the ones that have no explanation. When people are just mean and vicious and lie, even when they don't stand to gain anything from it. But Peter's point is clearly about a relationship in which there is sort of an ongoing pattern where the harmful behavior is repeated over and over, and or the person who has been wronged is just having a hard time getting to a place of forgiveness. When the local clergy discussed this gospel this week, some of them were talking about forgiving and forgetting. Do you not only have to forgive, but also forget? They were asking, they didn't get to an answer. Put five Lutheran pastors in a room and you get seven explanations of everything. <laughs> Luke's version, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, Luke, Luke's version of this teaching of Jesus is somewhat different. And in Luke, the teaching is not triggered by Peter. Jesus says, according to Luke, if your brother or sister sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive them. Again, you hear that number seven, that number of totality. 
What kind of crazy situation would you be in where a person hurts you seven times in a row, each time repenting and asking forgiveness and then turning right around and doing the same thing again seven times in a single day? <laughs> it must be a very long day. <laughs> but these, these remarks are made by Jesus because forgiveness is difficult. It's difficult in these real relationships where we ourselves are hurt. John F. Kennedy committed adultery, betraying Jackie. I can forgive him because I don't have any skin in that game and he was dead before I was born. If my own spouse commits adultery, that's a whole other kettle of fish. But for there to be shalom, for us to get healed and get on and get living, we have to forgive. It is unjust. Forgiveness and justice are sort of opposites. Next week, Matthew will give us another parable on the injustice of God's grace. But we have to forgive in order to get beyond. Sometimes the forgiver the one who is giving forgiveness grows more and gains more peace than the person who is being forgiven. I am convinced that this conversation between Peter and Jesus is partly related to the fourth chapter of Genesis. You, you probably know that Cain murdered his brother Abel. They were the original two sons of Adam and Eve supposedly the first human family, Cain murdered his brother, Abel. And so God sent Cain into exile. And Cain said to God, as he was being thrown, cursed, and sent out, Cain said to God that people in other towns would murder him once they found out that he was a murderer. Now, when I was a boy, I wondered where all these other people in towns came from. <laughs> I mean, if Adam and Eve were truly the first human beings, then where did all these other towns and villages come from? And so Cain is sent away to live in the land of Nod, east of Eden, Genesis says. John Steinbeck named his great novel East of Eden, that poetic, sober name for life in the real world, the broken real world that is not the Garden of Eden. Anyway, when Cain is afraid that he will become a victim himself of murder, God says, no, and if anyone lays a hand on Cain, then I, God, will punish them seven times over what they did to Cain. That's, that's in verse 15 of chapter 4. And then, and then six generations pass. When I was a boy, my Bible said, and Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. And unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begat Mahujael, and Mahujael begat Methusael, and Methusael begat Lamech. Your eyes glaze over. <laughs> but it was the seventh generation after Adam. The first generation after Adam was Cain. And God promised seven times the retribution on anyone who harmed Cain, the murderer. In the seventh generation, Lamech was the descendant of Adam, the descendant of Cain. In the seventh generation, Lamech murdered some, someone. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about most of these people, but it stops 
out of nowhere to quote Lamech. This is the only thing we know about him. He bragged to his wives, he had two wives, that he murdered a guy who hit him. And Lamech brags to his wives that if God punishes Cain for Cain by retribution seven times, then he, Lamech, punishes 77 times. So Lamech, the seventh generation after Adam, is bragging about his own power to punish, not as God punished, with sevenfold vengeance, but with 77-fold vengeance, Lamech punishes. That's all we know about it. Genesis is telling us in a very understated way with poetic nuance about the growth of violence and retributive justice in the world. It spirals. It grows exponentially. In chapter 3 of Genesis, Adam and Eve disobey God. You all know that story. And then in chapter 4, the chapter I'm talking about, one of their children murders the other, and violence and counterviolence attack and counterattack spin out of control. In chapter 6, God will flood the world and try to accomplish a reset. So the proliferation of the number 7 and 77 in early Genesis is the background for this conversation between Jesus and Peter. It's trying to undo, it's trying to re reverse Genesis chapter 4. If we want shalom, if we want peace, here, east of Eden, we engage in this very difficult process of forgiveness. So, so to motivate Peter, Jesus gives this parable, which I call a Lutheran sermon. I like this parable because it's a Lutheran sermon. may not be a very good idea. Lutheran sermons may not be that great. But it's a sermon about the lavishness of God's grace. And Jesus seems to be saying that the lavishness of God's grace should make us more magnanimous towards, toward others. The money in this parable just slips by because it's Roman money, just slips by. The, the, when, you're, when we're reading it, the parable, the money in this parable is exaggerated beyond anything possible or realistic. There are two debtors. The lesser debtor owes something called a hundred denarii. A denarius is a, is a Roman coin for one day's wages for a laborer. So if a laborer in today's labor market earns $100 a day, then this would be 100 days wages. This would be $10,000. The other debtor, the guy at the center of this story, owes 10,000 talents. A talent is a brick of either silver or gold. And somehow this guy owes 10,000 talents. It is unbelievably ridiculous. King Solomon the richest and most material successful king of Israel, in his prime, the Bible says King Solomon's income was 666 talents per year. So this man in this parable, this slave, this, this servant, owes 15 years of King Solomon's income. It's utterly impossible for anyone to run up this much debt. But it's a parable. And so this is what he did. And that debt is canceled. Calculating this amount, this amount, trying to put this amount in dollars is a parlor game for nerds like me, but it's tens of millions of dollars, probably hundreds of millions of dollars. It's forgiven completely. The way the story is told, it's forgiven and the slave is discharged. He's no longer a slave. 
And then immediately, within the hour, this guy runs into the other guy who happens to owe him $10,000. And he violently attacks the man, won't give him any additional time, and has the man thrown in prison. So I call this a Lutheran sermon about the lavishness of God's grace and the hopes that by being aware, our being aware of that abundance of God's mercy, that love and forgiveness, which is deeper than we can imagine, that the psalm said, as far as the east is from the west, as far as the heavens are above the earth, we owe, that, that we owe God far more than we can even acknowledge. But being aware of that ought, ought, ought to transform our priorities and our actions. That's how Lutherans operate. We don't so much tell you how to live your life. We are a people of word and sacrament. So what we keep doing all the time, we, 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 we receive God's grace, we remember God's grace, we ritually reenact God's grace, we try to abide in God's grace, and we believe that that will do more good than simply telling people to be good or how to be good. The, um, I'll tell you a story, Texas story. There's a, there's a play that's very famous in Texas. It's a comedy. It's called Greater Tuna. It's about a town, in a fictitious town in Tuna called Tuna. Anybody ever heard this before? Completely deprived of culturally deprived <laughs> Midwesterners who haven't been to Texas. It's, it's a great spoof on Texas. And, and at the center of it, there are these, these two Texas women, um, Pearl and Vera. And, and they're at a funeral, and they're talking. And uh, like Texas women can do, I, I, I'm a Louisianian, but, so, so I can't quite get it right. But, but Pearl says something disparaging about one of Vera's grown children. And Vera replies, glass houses. <laughs> she didn't even have to say, she didn't have to say, people who live in glass houses should not throw a stone. She says, I can hear it, it's Texas, it's Texas woman accent. Glass houses. And, I, and whenever, I'm, whenever I'm mad, angry, consumed, sometimes it's the voice of God speaking to me with Vera's accent. <laughs> Glass houses. Perhaps what this parable says, and perhaps what Jesus says, and perhaps most of what Lutheranism says is that people who live in glass houses should really slow down before we pick up rocks and start throwing. I would hope that in every faithful Christian community, we would accept, we would discuss, we would be honest about the difficulty of bringing shalom back into this world east of Eden. It is a tedious, self-sacrificing, constant ordeal to do what Jesus says, to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile, to be a peacemaker, to forgive seven times or 77 times. I think we need to be honest with each other about the difficulty. The church needs to be a place of honesty. But the church also needs to be a place where God's grace is pointed at, where it, 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 we, we focus upon it, that the sum of money involved, 
10,000 talents is incredibly great. That is God's mercy toward us and love for us, and it is uncountable and cannot be repaid. And when we do those two things that today's gospel reading does, when we are frank and honest about the difficulty, and when we strive to realize God's lavish grace, then we stand the best chance of being peacemakers, of creating joy and beauty, of achieving shalom east of Eden. Amen.